0: Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, a research director here at Mintel. In today's episode, I'm joined by experts from the food and drink, lifestyles, grocery retail, and multicultural consumer sectors. We're chatting about a subject that's been the topic of conversation among our research teams. Why do some grocery stores have an ethnic or international food aisle in their stores? And how do retailers make the decision about what is stocked on those aisles? More importantly, are these aisles really meeting consumer needs for how people shop? To give you a bit of context, this episode was recorded before the spread of COVID-19 started to really impact our daily lives. At this moment, many of us aren't grocery shopping the way we used to. However, most grocery stores are still open, consumers are shopping, and the question of this ethnic foods aisle is still there, although maybe this aisle isn't as stocked as it used to be. So we'll carry on with today's episode without mentioning COVID-19. But if you're looking for more about how the pandemic is impacting consumer behavior and shifting markets, head over to Mintel.com where you can find analysis on this topic. Let's kick off today's episode with introductions from our guests.
1: Hi, I'm Jenny Zegler, an associate director on Mintel's food and drink platform, and I look after food and drink trends and beverage analysis.
2: Uh, Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm excited to be part of this discussion today. I am uh, Juan Ruiz, director of Hispanic Insights here at Mintel, and I'm also based uh, in the Mintel Chicago office, and uh, I'm typically involved in creating Hispanic reports that are part of our uh, multicultural library.
3: I'm Melanie Zenoza-Bartelmi, I'm a Global Food Analyst on the Mintel Food and Drink Platform, and I specialize in pasta, rice, noodles, fruits, vegetables, and also look after uh, flavor trends, Um, so international foods is very near and dear to my heart.
4: And I'm Carol Wong Lee, I'm an Associate Director uh, here in Canada, I look after lifestyles, leisure, and retail categories.
5: I'm Joel Gregoire, based out of Toronto, Canada. I'm the Associate Director for Food and Drink Which means, as the title says, I cover food and drink categories in Canada.
0: I have to admit, we've been talking about this topic for months. And before this was brought to my attention, I had never thought about the layout. Really, I'd never thought about the layout of a grocery store at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when we started talking about it, now every time I go grocery shopping, it strikes me as so odd. So maybe, Jenny, can you start us off by explaining to our listeners what exactly we're talking about when we talk about the international or ethnic foods aisle?
1: Yeah, so in a lot of grocery stores, at least here in the U.S., and I'm guessing in Canada as well, since we have some of our Toronto colleagues on the line, uh, there is usually just one aisle that is dedicated to Italian food, Hispanic food, Asian food, and it's all in one place, um, which is a matter of convenience, but generally, if you are looking for sauces and pasta and seasonings and tortillas all in one place, you wouldn't generally find that in a grocery store. It's usually you know, all over the place in the bread aisle and the sauces aisle and the seasonings aisle. So the ethnic or international foods aisle puts that all in one place, but generally that means it's by a specific cuisine type. Um, so it's a different way of organizing things um, and something that, you know, kind of just is can be confusing or convenient depending on what the c- consumer is looking for at the t- the typical time that they're shopping.
0: So what do you guys think? Confusing or convenient? I, I go back and forth. <laughs> Um, I think what's
3: really interesting <laughs> is, I, I, it's funny, Dana, you say that you, you haven't been thinking about this. I actually tracked down a, a manager at one of the local stores here that's part of a, a national tra- chain and was trying to ask him, why is this organized this way? And he said that they're trying to make it this sort of destination for people to kind of come visit, look for everything in one place. But I asked him, But not everything's there together. So is this even really working? Because the tortillas at the store are somewhere separate. All of the taco seasonings are in with other seasonings. So I'm not even sure if it's actually kind of delivering on that, helping consumers really get everything in one place. It ends up being more confusing than anything.
4: I totally agree with you, actually, in terms of like, I think at one point in time, when maybe the world itself wasn't as diverse, this was a good offering you know, for convenience, but as we know, the world itself is becoming much more multicultural, transcultural. You know, the UN has reports coming out saying that more and more people are living outside of their birthplaces. And so I think, you know, as, as the, the world on a whole, we're not limited to these boxes anymore. So I think it really is time for grocery stores to think about not
0: putting, you know, the
4: international aisle in one box. I mean,
0: is that the way people think about what they're going to eat for dinner? Or, I mean, are, are there separate international cuisines anymore? Or is this all, this is the part that I find confusing, or is it all just blended together? I don't think like, well, Tuesday, I'm going to have something from Italy. And Wednesday, I'm going to have something from Japan. So that's to me why it makes it so confusing, is it's just not the way I meal plan, I
5: guess. Yeah, and the, and the tough thing about this is that what can happen is the ethical can be a uh, catch-all. So if, it, if you feel it doesn't fit into a specific category, it's hard to put it in there. You just kind of put in this, I think, food aisle, if you will. Um, the one thing I will say um, in terms of how a grocer operates, or especially a larger grocery store, and this is coming from some of my background working at a grocer, is that what, the way it's divided is category and managers tend to run certain aisles or different categories, if you will. So you're going to have someone who's a bread category manager, a produce category manager, a cereal category manager. Um, For them, there might not be a real fit for something that's deemed to be ethnic or international food. And they're really worried about driving profitability and sales in their category. And when you look at certain grocery stores, it makes more sense than others. So if you're in, a, for example, is a grocery store in an area of Toronto where I live, where there's a large South Asian population or large large Chinese uh, Canadian consumer base, well, you're probably not going to have that quote-unquote ethnic grocery aisle because that's not going to make a lot of sense. You're going to have it more integrated throughout the store. But if you go to more maybe a rural part, rural, rural part of Canada, rather, where what is what we call a conventional banner, so this is kind of your mainstream type of grocery store, this is something where consumers can try have an ethnic aisle that will give them something that maybe they're not as used to trying or they say, you know what, I want something with a little bit of a different flavoring or a different type of noodle and they know they can go there. So it really depends not just on grocery stores overall, but where, what type of grocery store it is, what it's meant to be, and where it's located as well.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I also think it's important to see if if the ethnic alley is ultimately relevant to the core target market. Uh, of consumers visiting the store now for instance from from the hispanic perspective it, it's not no our, our data clearly shows that traditional grocery stores are not top of mind eh, for hispanic consumers when they are shopping for this type of uh, foods and ingre- ingredients No, they associate these uh products with very clearly with hispanic grocery stores so they know that they are going to find there in, in the, these other places uh, these types of products at a good value, no? So it's unlikely that just expanding the the, the offering at the ethnic uh, food aisle uh, it's going to disrupt this association. I think it's very strong right now.
4: I, and just to build on what 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 Juan just said, as myself, a second generation Canadian who was born and raised in Canada you know, I'm, I'm, I'd like to consider myself as through and through Canadian, but then I'm very proud and attached to my Chinese heritage, but I'm still very westernized. And I do, I shop at two grocery stores. I shop, you know, there's the mainstream one, but when I want my quote-unquote authentic ingredients, I don't give mainstream grocery stores a lot of credibility in being able to offer the specific brands or ingredients that I want. I, we still, my husband and I still divide our grocery shops, which Uh, primarily between two. There's the mainstream banner and then the quote-unquote ethnic or Chinese banner that we shop at. So I think you're absolutely right. It's, you know, there's there's the issue of credibility and authenticity as well. But I think that
1: that's something that's interesting to me because we see so many consumers, especially in that millennial generation and Generation Z being foodies and being adventurous eaters. And I think they'd be interested to see what some of that authenticity is um, and what the current ethnic or international aisle is delivering to them isn't necessarily that case, but going to a dedicated international or ethnic supermarket might be too daunting. It might be something that they feel they don't belong there or they wouldn't know what to do with the items or they're all in a different language. So I think that there would be that interest in actually exploring that as a whole food adventure for those foodie consumers, but it still might be something that they feel maybe that's not necessarily where they should be going or they can be going.
3: I think that's a great point, uh, Jenny, because I think that what what the sort of mainstream aisle looks like right now is that there are so many of those sort of meal solutions that are right there, you know, uh, taco kits and um, instant noodle kits, these things that help you cook something, but everything is already sort of put into one place. And I think that they're working on trying to bring more of that sort of authenticity and that those new things to consumers. But the problem right now is that they're not, there isn't something inherent in this type of soy sauce versus this type of soy sauce that helps a consumer actually understand how to make the decisions and to understand you know, maybe all of these brands are new to them. So they, they're they looking for some more guidance that I think is, is part of what's missing here.
0: Melanie, do you think the flags help <laughs> <laughs> bring that authenticity to the ethnic aisle? In my grocery store, a local grocery store that have all of these different um, country flags in the international foods aisle to help guide me, although I have no idea which flag is which, so it, it doesn't really help. <laughs>
1: they though. don't necessarily. It guide, because the ones I go to, there's flags and there's lights from the ceiling, and now they've moved gluten-free into that same aisle, so it doesn't even necessarily make sense in terms of being a geographic destination by following the flags.
3: And Jenny, you know, it's so funny you say that, because when I was talking to this, this manager as well, we were talking about um, organic and gluten-free and some of these other things that are small but important things that consumers are looking for, but trying to figure out where you put them and so a lot of these things that are, um, quote unquote, other, or specialized in some way, they all get kind of lumped together. It's like um, that catch all that you were saying, Joel, that um, there, there's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of good, I guess, in that a lot of these uh, newer foods, they all are tending to be organic as well, right? But eventually, right now, it seems like we can kind of, or at least they are sticking some of these things together in this way. but eventually it's, it's not going to work. Everything is becoming more, quote-unquote, ethnic. So at some point, this aisle is not, it's going to just spill over into <laughs> everything. <laughs> 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 man. Um, just going back to
5: Carol's point, um, she raises a really good point about, in terms of making sure that grocers have an offering that's relevant for Canadians overall. And particularly in Canada, if you were to take a look at what's driving Canada's population growth, it's not so much the birth rate, it's really immigration by three times the amount. It's not even close. And grocers have been looking at this for the past 10 or 20 years and wondering what's going to be our strategy in terms of appealing to new Canadians, to new immigrants or second generation, if you will. So it's not just even about having something that's a little bit different, but rather having something that appeals to consumers and who are the younger consumers, who are the the current um, current purchasers and the future purchasers, if you will, especially in the context of an aging population. So it's not just about having a Nile but around having a holistic ethnic food or international food strategy that that kind of tends to the people who are coming into the country, for example, Chinese Canadians represent a large a percentage of new Canadians. South Asians do. Filipinos do. And my wife happens to be one. Uh, so I kind of speak from experience there. Um, so, so this is kind of the broader sh- challenge in Canada and indeed for a lot of countries as well because it's really immigration that's driving a lot of our population
2: growth. Yeah, and I I, I, I agree with all that. And I also think that uh, well, it's also a challenge here. Um, for, for instance, close where I where I live, there is a Hispanic grocery store, an Indian grocery store, and a Korean grocery store. So I, I think that no ethnic aisle can really compete against these places mm-hmm. in the same way that these stores can't compete, uh, when thinking about mainstream products. No, so I, I think that one thing that's interesting is that, eh, uh, when I go to these places, um, eh, uh, The Hispanic, the Indian, the Korean places, the vast majority of shoppings are either Hispanic, Indian, or or, or Korean, no? So these places are really not attracting mainstream traffic, no? And in this regard, I think the current ethnic aisle is probably not made with ethnic shoppers in mind, but uh, more with mainstream Mm -hmm. consumers in mind.
4: Totally agree. Yeah, no, and then actually, so I, you know, just to build on Juan's point, and then to tie in what Jenny had mentioned earlier, is is that it, it might be intimidating to go to like a Korean grocery store or an Asian grocery store. it makes me think of like the food industry in in particular in terms of restaurants. You know, we have all these food trends and they're really driven by what people are seeing on social media. It's is actually making experimenting with flavors a lot more accessible because people see what the dish looks like. You know what ingredients it's made out of. There's descriptions to tell you like, what this is supposed to taste like. So you have an idea of whether or not you want to try it even before you actually go to try it. Whereas, you know, if you walk into a Korean grocery store, you're just overwhelmed with or or Chinese grocery store, you know, I keep hearing, oh, there's like weird smells and things. But at the same (laughs) time, it's just, just, you're just unfamiliar and you wouldn't even know where to start. So I think there has to be an element of education or, you know, maybe just taking inspiration from restaurants or, you know, the food, Food sector generally that way that would really benefit grocery stores
3: yeah, I think so too, and I, I think that you know you talked about social media, I feel like i don't i don 't see retailers engaging on social media nearly to the degree that the brands are trying to show this is how you cook with this this is what this is supposed to look like. Why are we not seeing more guidance? in using the store. I mean mm-hmm. we've seen other types of retailers like Target setting up and Home Depot. I think those you know if you want something in the store find it on this app and then here are these other things you can discover along the way. You know there just feels like there can be a lot more engagement in that way and the education can be built right into it.
5: Yeah no, I Melanie, quantifiably we see that especially for that generate Gen Z cohort. They're the ones that are really more likely to respond to using social media using their mobile technology in terms of getting a sense of what's out there to inspire them to try something new. And really speaking back to Carol's point as well about kind of pulling down these borders, this is really what's been one of the big changes that we've seen um, in the past decade.
0: So as we wrap up this conversation about international foods at the grocery store, I wanted to get some recommendations from our analysts on how they think retailers can maybe improve their merchandising or anything about the store layout that really bothers them. As a non-food expert, I would like to go first and say... Too much yogurt. (laughs) Um, I complain to everyone about this. There's There's just too much yogurt. So that would be my, from a consumer perspective, my recommendation for retailers, scale back that yogurt. Just... Scale it back. Um, and then I'll pass it off to Jenny to hear a more professional recommendation from anyone else who knows what i talking about. I started off with this, but I
1: do actually think that there is some amount of convenience in the way the ethnic or international aisle is set up. So the idea that if I want pasta tonight, I can go and get the pasta and the sauce and it's all right there. Um, and so I do actually think that there is some logic to displaying things by a meal um, or an occasion so that you're able to easily get in. and out get inspired maybe try something new because it's next to it and so i actually do think that there is something we can learn from the international aisle because it does actually connect with the way people might be meal planning um, or trying to decide what they might want to eat in the future and then they get inspired and want to try something new so i think that we can still learn from the way things are positioned in the international aisle in terms of convenience
2: yeah yeah that's that's true now, uh, from the Hispanic perspective, and I, I think that if if anything, I, I would recommend the uh, grocery stores really to focus on the perimeter of the store. I, I think the quality of the perimeter of the store really defines the overall retailer's image. Um, we have data that shows that the vast majority of Hispanics really agree that uh, one can judge the quality of a supermarket by its fresh product. So they, they judge the quality of the fresh product through first-hand experience. Uh, among Hispanics, uh, also there is almost universal agreement that uh, they like to select their on fresh food, so I, I think the quality of the perimeter of the store is what's gonna bring Hispanics into the store right, if they see value in it, and they have to like something first in the store before they start associating it with ethnic food. So, so I think that that would be a second step.
3: Yeah, I think that's actually such a, a great point. And uh, Dana, what you said about yogurt—there are so many international types of yogurt right now, yes. too. So that it just shows that the ethnic aisle really is—it is not limited to this sort of. Um, shelf-stable foods that we're thinking of. But I think like with what Jenny was saying that the real opportunity is taking where we are now and trying to expand what we can do with the parameters that we have. I mean, talking to the manager at the grocery store and he's just talking about even integrating organic would be such a high labor cost to close down the store, move everything around, completely reconfigure. So, that isn't something I had considered, and I think it's something that we got to start where we are now and provide more of that education, integrate more uh, ways for consumers to actually see how they can take what is there and turn it into meals, but also encourage them to not just stay where they are in that aisle, but then also go seek out the sour cream or go seek out some of these fresh fruit all these accompaniments that really round out a meal. So um, just using this ethnic aisle as a starting point and, and asking for a little bit more.
4: And I'm t- in total agreement with what everyone has said and I really do think it's I agree that it's it's about building on what you have now and I think maybe the opportunity isn't looking so big picture but starting small and being like a Trader Joe's where you have you know you feature a recipe that's you know it's an ethnically inspired one and have all the ingredients right there because we do have data to show that you know when consumers are shopping they would like grocery stores to put all of the ingredients to make that meal in one spot. Um, an idea might be just to, like, have something that's a little less common, say cumin, for example, as, as an ingredient and feature it as the spice of the week and then showcase how it can be made in, in different, you know, ethnic dishes or, or whatever have you. And, but then that's also an opportunity to not only expose one ingredient across different, uh, across different ethnicities, but it also is kind of a way of taking on that educational angle as well.
5: Yeah, I, I, not surprisingly, I agree with you all. Um, I, th- I think there's a couple of <laughs> kind of kind of boring, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, so there's a couple of things I have in mind. Um, number one is around how people are exposed to new foods, and what we see when we ask Canadians, and I assume this applies to the U.S., is that food service is a way that people like to try new foods. Why? Because you're unfamiliar with it. Someone who is a quote unquote expert is preparing it. I love sushi. I've eaten sushi for almost my entire life. I still don't try making it at home. (laughs) I still like to go out somewhere. Um, One of the evolutions that we've seen over the past 10 or 20 years is in terms of the prepared pre-prepared meal offerings that are happening at grocery stores. So we call this in the industry, home meal replacement. Um, This is a great area where you can showcase some of the different flavors and types of foods. And it's labor intensive to do that. Yes. But you can say, hey, here's a stir fry we put together or here's a noodle or a certain type of sauce or a spice we used. You get it here, but you can also buy it in our quote-unquote ethnic food aisle, if you will. So there's a way that you can use these kind of, um, you can do linkages throughout the store in order to drive sales. Um, Another thing is doing what you call the ethnic food aisle. So what we see from all our research consistently, and we've asked about this uh, twice over a span of three years, is that the main reason why people eat uh, ethnic or internationally inspired foods is to really to experience other cultures. It provides them with a sense of adventure. and We see opportunities, um, you know, obviously there's the Italian food and Chinese food, which are more common in Canada, but there's also like Caribbean foods, Korean foods, African foods as well. So maybe it's not just positioning around something generic ethnic foods. But a way to get a little bit out of your comfort zone and try something. So maybe more adventurous eating experiences and just just a simple repositioning might draw more traffic to that aisle and kind of give it a little bit more focus than it currently has.
0: I love all of those suggestions. That was, I think, great for our listeners and also for all of us just to have this conversation. I'd like to challenge everyone listening to this conversation. Next time you go to your grocery store, take a look at that international food aisle see if it makes sense to you i would love if all of us next time we go take a picture and we'll post it up with this podcast to show everyone what we're talking about if they don't have this in there's a local grocery store and kind of keep it in the back of your mind and we'll track this over time to see if retailers are making changes to this aisle as international foods become more mainstream here in the u.s so thanks everybody for listening make sure you subscribe rate and review the podcast on itunes or wherever you get your podcast content we'll be here next week with another episode of little conversation